Welcome to Multiple Offers, a real estate show with competing perspectives. Today we are talking about tough conversations. Put that coffee down. If you're good at something, never do it for free. How'd you get the gig? Oh, you know, they were hiring. It was only a two-week course. I will sell this house today. What are you, some kind of real estate agent? Oh, he's a realtor. There is a difference somehow. This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. All right, guys, it is episode 57. How's it going today, Matt? Okay, it's good. I'm feeling good. Uh-oh. <laughs> you don't look good. What, what, well, what is this face? <laughs> well, because they don't know yet, but there's no Jeremy. We've got, we've got no Jer today. There's, there's some pressure now. Okay, you're feeling like you've got to carry the New West guys. Not the New West fully. guys, but no, no matter what, when we have only two hosts. That's true. There is a different dynamic. Well, especially because you're running the board. <laughs> it, <laughs> so, it is harder. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, go, I get fewer breaks to just sort of like, you know, I'll just uh, let you guys talk while I, I fo- No, I, I feel like I got a lot of responsibility now. Okay, so you give me the wink and I'll just like talk to myself. Keep talking. <laughs> and I'll do my best to stall. <laughs> we, we got a good show today. We're, we're going to get into uh, how to have these high pressure sort of easy to explode conversations that in real estate we're having all the time. This is a big part of negotiating. And Oh, not just negotiating. Oh, you are you are <laughs> correct, sir. Um, but we're we're going to get into to all of that and we're we're going to go probably pretty deep on this. Before we do that, we've got a bit of news for you and then to finish off the show, we'll we'll have a question of the day. Before we get into that though, what's going on, Matt? Well, last week, uh, we because we talked a lot about winning at the bottom and procedures and how to do that, uh, yeah. one of the big talking points was the deal we were in the process of doing, Jer and I. We had our, our clients had won a multiple offer on a detached house. Now, had you written that one before? You wrote that before we We recorded. wrote it before the show. So we were talking about how we won the accepted offer. Right. So new news is we did firm up the deal. Well, and I heard from the listing agent that you guys had to go back to the table. Yeah. Before subjects were removed, which is interesting. Um, I guess maybe just a little context and you can fill them in, but uh, sometimes stuff comes up with inspections. Yeah. And normally if there's not multiple offers, you go back and you're like, okay, well, we want to buy the home, but we need to make these concessions. We've talked about this on the show before. It's a different game when there are three or four other people waiting to buy the home. Definitely. Yeah. You just, you think to yourself and I said to my clients, I'm like, what's the seller's motivation to hear you out. Right. What kind of leverage do we have on the side of the buyers? And, and, and you and I did talk about this. I mean, part of it is if the seller expects that the same issues will come up with any other buyer, right. They should address it with the buyer who's in front of them. Right. Yeah. And we didn't want to be difficult, but it was very genuine where my clients were at a point where they had spent absolute top dollar more really than they thought they should for the house, but it was fair for the market. Yeah. It was, but then these extras come up and they had already budgeted to be doing some maintenance. We had, we had right. seen enough during our first two showings that we knew there was work that had to be done. Mm-hmm. And it's not just renovation, sort of personal taste type stuff. It was maintenance items. Right. And then we added to the list. So it became complicated. Um, we tried to handle it in a very just diplomatic way. And, and yeah. we ended up getting, I, I think, a really fair outcome. Everybody, yeah. everybody seems really happy. Like the sellers didn't seem really put off by it. it seemed reasonable. Right. Yeah, when when I was talking to the listing agent, 
he he seemed happy with how everything went and and felt like you guys were being fair as well like that they were real complaints not just oh we made this up and one thing i think sellers often don't realize is if something gets found in an inspection that's legitimately a big problem that can become something that you are obligated to disclose if it's real to the next buyer. Like, you can't just be like, like once you know about it, the rules are different. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, well, no, then we'll just let the next guy do their inspection. Maybe yeah. they won't find it. Yeah, <laughs> and then five years later, when they find it and it comes out that the first deal died because of this thing, uh, now you can be on the hook. There, yeah. There's some real legal considerations there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all in all, the deal got done. We won out of eight offers. Yeah. Which is fantastic. And I've got a, an old friend from Tawasson moving to New West. Oh, no way. It, that, that's who the buyer is? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. pretty good. They didn't pick New West because I live here. <laughs> <laughs> they picked it because it's awesome. Just because it's awesome on its own. Yeah. Despite the fact that I'm here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's cool, though. Now i got a friend, you know, with a garage. Nice. <laughs> This is like like uh, a buddy of yours from high school, or uh, yeah, yeah. We weren't yeah. like really close friends, but we were, we were friends in high school, and we spent some time together in university too. Nice, yeah, yeah. So it's cool. It's pretty exciting. So, um, anything uh, new with you, Jeff? Before we, I am off my game today. You're, oh, oh no! So there's only two of us. There were only two of us, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm a really early riser. Like I I I used to get up at six before the kids were born. Um, cause I like, a, I like about an hour to myself in the morning to kind of plan and figure out my day and really, you know, in, in real estate, our days can be wildly different. So I like, <laughs> I like a little quiet time to just plan everything out. My son gets up at six on the dot and planning does not work while he's in the room. No, he's at that age and he's, oh boy. yeah, he wants attention and he's got high energy and I want it. I want to hang out with him when he's up before he goes to school. So I start getting up at 5am, 5am is a challenge for me. To, to get up. And, and to do it, I, I put my cell phone in my bathroom. So I have to physically get up. Because your phone is your alarm. My phone is my alarm. So unusual. And when, when, I, when I get to the bathroom, my move is brush my teeth right away. <laughs> oh, it, so yeah, get some physical activity happening. Physical activity and that like tingling in my mouth. Like I'm awake. Once I brush my teeth, I'm like, I know if I brush my teeth, I'm not getting back into bed. <laughs> But last night, I guess I left my phone on the headboard, and I snoozed it for an hour. Like, I I didn't get up till Asher got up this morning. So there's been no planning. So I feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants today. Um, So yeah, we'll we'll see how today goes. (laughs) Well, the good news is we're talking about something that is an integral part of our businesses for the last five years. Yeah, this is this is huge. We're we're gonna get into it. But if um, if anybody's been listening to the show for a very long time, one of our very first guests was Keith Cornies, um, who is a, he owns the Remax, Ad- oh, I was going to say Remax Advantage. Well, how did we not put that? How did we not talk about that? <laughs> our office changed um, changed names. We're no longer Remax Advantage. We're Remax All Points. Same owners and everything, but they own multiple offices and it's just easier legally, I guess. I wrote my first deal, Matt. And I wrote Advantage all over that. <laughs> like, day one of the new name change, wrote a new contract, <laughs> had to cross out all of it, had to, like... Oh, that's too bad. ...resend the, hey, when you get the deposit, don't make it out to Remax Advantage. Yep. I, and I feel like I'm going to be doing that for a few months. Maybe. I was very fortunate. Debbie prepared my paperwork for the weekend. Right. And was on top of it. Yeah. I would have forgotten. Because when I'm preparing an offer on a Saturday or a Sunday, it's... 
it's just sort of like get it happening. But we did it in advance just in case. Well, an, an MLS isn't auto-populating it yet. So you've got to go through and right. find all the spots in the contract where it mentions advantage and change it. But how did you get on this tangent? You were just saying, oh, oh so uh, Keith, Keith is, is, an owner. <laughs> is one of the owners of our office and he also coaches real estate. And what episode did we have him on? Was Early, that, it like was like four five. or five or something. Yeah. But he, he teaches what we're going to talk about today. It's one of the things and he talked about it a little bit in that episode, but we're going to, we're going to go deep on that today. Before we do, though, what's going on? Do we got some news? Let's talk about the news. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. I got a news flash for you, Walter Cronkite. I am enlightened. Do it live! I can go write it and we'll do it live! This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. It's the beginning of a new month, so it's time for oh. the media's release market stats news. So every media outlet reports on the media release that we put out, we collectively, Jeff, being the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Correct. You help write the report from the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver, right? They call me up usually <laughs> on a Tuesday. <laughs> you and all other 14,000 members. Yeah. Let me like your contribution, please. Uh, okay, so... We knew this was coming. We talked about it in the shows leading up to, yeah. you know, the, by the middle of the second half of May, we already knew May was strong. Yeah. And we were telling people that. So they're just reaffirming that. Now, they are saying, so what's the headline here? I chose the province because they always write a short article. Right. And we didn't do a lot of prep today. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Brown, thank you. Vancouver home sales in May. Sorry, Vancouver home sales up in May, but buyer demand remains at historic low. Yeah. I don't like that because demand is not demand to me. If we're getting into semantics is your desire to purchase mm. not following through to purchase. Okay. There's a lot of people who want to purchase. It's not like they're all gone. No, people still want to own homes. Yeah, for sure. I think there's some uncertainty, although the market's weird right now. Like there's, there's parts of the market that feel hot, hot, hot. And then other parts that are exactly what that article described. Yes. And, and I think we talked about this last week and we will continue to talk about this. We yeah. have been talking about this, but when you get strong activity and consistent strong activity in a certain segment, it will create consistency throughout the rest of the marketplace. It just takes a while for that to the yeah. ripple effect. Right. And it's not about regions. It's about certain types of products, price bands, and that is specific to each region as well. Yeah. So, uh, but the article itself is just talking about really the stats, the numbers. It was the first month of 2019 to eclipse 2,000 sales, meaningless to me. Um, quote here: Residential home sales in May totaled 2,638. Um, it, it's always interesting when you look. Like everybody thinks realtors are just rolling in it, <laughs> right? You're like, okay, there were 2,000 sales last month which means 12,000 agents made no money. <laughs> you would have made more money working at McDonald's. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. 
Whew. Okay, let's uh, let's get that off my mind because that's weighing heavily. <laughs> Fortunately, I you're did, not one of those. I did do a transaction uh, yeah. last month. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's get this last quote here from Ashley Smith, the real estate board's president. Oh yeah, our new president. Yeah, uh, high home prices and mortgage qualification issues caused the federal government's B twenty stress test remain significant factors behind the reduced demand in the mar- the market is experiencing today. Hmm. That's a bit subjective to me. I mean, yeah. of all the activity we are experiencing in New West, I wouldn't say that the stress test is what is changing behavior. Yeah, that one's hard to measure. That's old news now. Yeah, because people have lost their buying power, for sure. But I, I think people have adapted at this point. Yeah, and the prices have adapted to reflect that. Prices have corrected. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's more just a, a caution caution from buyers just saying, I'd like to buy. I just don't want to feel like I paid the absolute top price. If there's more room to go down, I'd rather be buying down there. I wonder how much of that is scapegoating the stress test, hoping <laughs> that politicians will be like, oh, oh if I attack the stress test, maybe that's a reason to vote for me. You're absolutely right. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's the board. I mean, part of what our real estate board does and the other bodies that represent the real estate industry is they lobby different, yeah. different levels of government. Yeah. And and I think everything that they lobby for and I am not I'm not a big supporter of lobbyists in 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 the government world. I find they typically create more harm than good because they support sure. the industry, not yeah. the the overall economy. But I find that the items that are lobbied for in our industry are really actually best for the overall benefit of of the economy, the real estate economy. Mm-hmm. And not about driving like driving prices up or making more money for real estate agents. It's things like the thing they lobby for the strongest that never gets anywhere is property transfer tax. Right. You know, and other things like that that are that are really unfair. Well and like the previous president, Phil Moore, he was talking about you need to look into money laundering in real estate before the media ran with it. Like, like he got way ahead of that with, this is a problem. We need stronger ways to track this. And I mean, a lot of people, I think, think, oh, realtors are all tied up in, in this stuff. And you know what? There probably are a few bad apples out there. But the board as a whole has been trying to get ahead of this before it ever became big hot news. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So as much as, anyway... <laughs> lobbyists. I, I like. I, I'm actually really supportive of the way that our industry lobbies the, the levels of governments. I think mm-hmm. that we're we're terribly unsuccessful at it. Yeah, we. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's not. It's not the lobbyists' fault. It's because the government is highly dependent on the taxes that they bring in from real estate. We're never going to win the property transfer tax war. It, that's got to be one of the government's number one sources of income. Well, it's, it's got to be a, a top source of revenue and yeah. the easiest cash cow. Totally. They're like, okay, check a box, pay the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's too easy. Uh, but there's other things that we lobby for too, and maybe that'll come around. So anyway, uh, thank you, Real Estate Board, for saying that, uh, you know, re- reaffirming what we said three weeks ago. Have you, before we move off news... You're in BC Realtor Corner, right? That private Facebook group. So you and I were recently invited to join. Yeah. I'm getting like the free three-week preview. Right. I refuse to join because it's just way too toxic. It, it's a horrible Facebook group of people. I'm losing all of our Realtor listeners, but I, <laughs> I, I find it, it doesn't help my mental state be, being in there. That said, did you see the article Randy Mann oh, yeah. posted? So um, That was gross. There was an article posted about comparing agents' 2016 sales to their this year sales. 
And, you know, that like some of these top agents are going from like 43 sales to 20-ish sales. Like the, all the numbers are down. But what's coming out is, I don't know where this article got their numbers, but they're wrong. Just wrong. They're, they're just factually wrong. And multiple realtors who are like top, top agents, um, I won't use their names because I don't want to tie anybody up, but one of the top agents who I know personally, because our friend of the show, oh, and that's going to tie the names. Stop we have a, it. We have a friend who, <laughs> who works for him, and those numbers are definitely wrong. Like she, she's, she sold more than what they announced as his entire team's sales. And like he's lawyering up like that. The writer of that article, well, and for I, good reason. That's slander. Well, it, it's yeah, it's a hundred percent. I guess slander is the wrong word. There's libel, another the, libel. I, I think libel yeah. is the correct when, legal if term. If it's in yeah. print, it's libel. I know that because of Spider Man. Jeff, <laughs> 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 that's right. I most recently heard that on watching Venom last week. <laughs> I, I have not seen Venom. I've heard that I'm not. I'm not missing out. Oh, it was good. Eddie Brock. Oh, was it good? Eddie Brock, though, libelous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that that is a dangerous article. I can't remember where it came from. It was published by some site that I'm told is not very real realtor friendly. It's kind of anti-industry. It's one of these anti-industry guys. But you got to be careful if you're gonna state facts. That's they took like a hundred names. Oh yeah. And and said but it was previous year's stats, this year's stats. And if you get all you know, if you're getting numbers wrong on either end, yeah. the whole thing is pointless. Totally. Right? It's it's it, that is cruel and unusual. Yeah. You decide your own level of involvement. Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. I don't agree to that. Neither do I. Wrong. National debt. Wrong. Wrong. Advocate. Wrong. With that money, Wrong. you lost. Wrong. Wrong. Very nice words, but happens to be wrong. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show. So now we're going to talk about something called scarf. <laughs> What's a scarf? I wonder how many people who just like listen to the episode already know what scarf is. I would guess not very many, unless they're avid listeners and they they listen to our Keith one. I had no idea what it was before Keith. I'd never heard it before Keith started. I'm uh, going to go with one percent of listeners. So, scarf is basically a it's an acronym. an acronym that's used to figure out essentially why people are mentally hijacking during a conversation. Like if you're ever having a conversation and all of a sudden it just turns wildly in the wrong direction and people are getting upset, Scarf's kind of a, a way to identify these problems. And it's based on uh, Dr. David Rock. You got it. Um, who is a psychologist, is that correct? Oh, Matt? I didn't get David Rock's uh, credentials. Um. Yeah, maybe I'll pull up his work while we're talking about. It. Do you do you want to kind of maybe start by going through what the acronym? Yeah, let me break down for? the acronym, right? Because I mean, you're saying that you can use it to have difficult conversations. Yeah, I use it generally just to to guide successful process, not even conversations. But they say if you get if you have offended somebody, if you created yeah. a real negative reaction from someone you're interacting with, you can work backwards to figure out where you've created the the damage yeah. and try to fix it by going at it from the right venue. One of five things here in SCARF. 
the, right. the acronym. I try to get ahead of it like I do everything in my business and think about how can I give them all five of these things up front so they don't mentally hijack, so I don't have negative situations with people pushing back at me and all the rest of it. So I think there's there are different ways of implementing it, but the, the acronym, so SCARF, S for status, C for certainty, A for autonomy, R for relatedness, kind of a sucky word, but you get the idea, and F, fairness. Uh, I've got a good little, very quick summary here. So status, our relative importance to others, make the other person feel important. Certainty, our ability to predict the future. Do I know the outcome? Autonomy, do I have a sense of control over the events? relatedness or relationships. How safe do we feel about the other people involved? And fairness, do we feel that we're being treated fairly in this uh, difficult interaction we're having? Right. And it's funny you mentioned you can use this to go like as a almost a life guide. You can also use your powers for evil. (laughs) (laughs) I've never even considered this, Jeff. Well, uh, it's too bad Jer's not here today because Jer likes to use the term as a verb. Like, I really scarfed that guy. <laughs> like, you knew exactly how you were getting under the person's skin by picking out the, the thing oh, to hit them yeah. on. Like, <laughs> yeah, which, which is uh, 100% true. Um, okay, so I've, I found Dr. David Rock's sort of credentials here. Um, he blogs for Harvard Business. Um, he writes for Fashion, ma- or Fashion, Fortune Magazine, <laughs> uh, Psychology Today, and the Puffington, uh, Huffington Post. The Puffington Post. Little little tongue tied there. Fashion Four Hundred and Puffington yeah. Post. And um, he originally kind of introduced this concept uh, for the Oxford University's business school. That's where this was. So it, it was right from the oh, beginning. Oh, this is business heavy. This isn't yeah. so much about psychology. Yeah, I mean, certainly it is psychology, but it was. Yeah, and I mean, he has a doctorate in neuroscience. So, but specifically the neuroscience of leadership. Okay. So that's, uh, that's kind of the, the credentials of and what we're about so to talk about. That's so amazing to me. Like you brought this up of like, okay, somebody hijacks and that's another sort of Keithism that we've yeah. learned. You know, you, you spark something internally in them that makes them right. lose focus of the conversation. They're just now mad and their blood is boiling. I have always thought of scarf since I learned it and really internalized it instinctively as a way to lead conversations. Right. Not fix them. Okay. Yeah. I, I think of it very differently because we, we bring up these acronym terms in the show all the time. I, th- I can think of so many episodes where I talk about how do we fix this? Well, you want to give the seller certainty and you want to give your, your buyer autonomy. And the mm-hmm. reason why I'm constantly using those terms is from SCARF. Right. But it's to lead them there. It's to guide them. I think I feel like that's what we're doing in our business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, and, and where would you say, like, where does it go wrong most of the time? What If, if you were going to pinpoint one where you're like, oh, this is where it sort of goes off the rails most often. Well, well, that's a good question. I'm thinking of if I have to save a conversation versus, like, how do I save it right. versus what caused it to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. I feel like what causes it to go wrong for me most often Um, And this isn't about having some massive uh, argument that's happening. It's more just, I'm having a hard time moving forward. Yeah. Right. It's not that, you know, Matt, we need to fight about this and debate it, but what is going to give me a a level of comfort to move to the next step? And I think that's certainty. 
Interesting. I think that's most important in our business, especially as the market's been tough the last few years. Yeah, and, and I think clients really appreciate, like, the plan is certainty, right? Like, we're going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and sort of, like, laying out the groundwork of exactly what this process is. Well, and because like. so many things can go wrong in the market right now, we've talked about, should I buy first or sell first? You right. know, if I buy first, I don't have certainty that I can sell my home. Right. So how can we create a plan that gives me certainty to feel comfortable that I'm mm-hmm. not going to be stuck homeless or stuck owning two homes? Right. Cert- that's the, the, the basic certainty outcome we're trying to create for a lot of our clients mm-hmm. when they already own a property. That's what I'm thinking. Right. It's sort of like, like, of course we can't map out exactly how it's going to go, but what are the things we can implement for you as one individual, one family? Yeah. So you feel like you know, you know that the way you have control over how it will play out and then that's autonomy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I find when it applies to negotiations, First and last is where negotiations die. I feel like people get really stuck up on status, like this person isn't showing me the proper respect or thinks they're better than me. or yeah. Like people really get upset about that yeah. in ways they're not even aware of. Well, and when you said to me, like when I, when I said what I think causes the problem. Yeah. Sorry, no. There's What I think causes the problem can be certainty and autonomy, but what <laughs> fixes it for me is status. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. You always, and and they are kind of in the right order. Like, yeah. give them status first. You want to fix this. Yeah. You know, start by apologizing and making them feel important. Totally. Yep. Yep. For sure. And then I, I feel like the one more negotiations die on is fairness. As soon as people feel like they're not being treated fairly, like there are times where people will just throw everything out the window on on fairness like we are gonna blow up this ship <laughs> because that isn't fair <laughs> not being, this is not fair and i agree i almost never make it to fairness mm. when i'm mapping out how to solve things because i find if you give someone status and they feel respected at that point they almost perceive a lot of fairness right and if you can give them status you can give them certainty and autonomy yeah. The rest kind of sorts itself out. It, it's interesting that we're both working off the same model, but going <laughs> in very... Di- like, the the tactics within it are very different. Because when I'm negotiating with another party, I'm playing fairness all day long. Like, a lot of the times when I'm presenting a counteroffer in a negotiation, it's a lot about proving that we aren't trying to get one up on you. We're trying to get you to come to a fair price. Yeah, and I, I have to agree. I mean, I'm yeah. always playing, if it's a negotiation yeah. time, yeah, you're trying to highlight yeah. the element of how it's fair. Right. But I feel like the only way they'll hear me is if you give them status. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you want to present fairness, that has to be genuine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. you, can't, you can't fake it. You know, I hope people listening to this don't think that this only applies... To, to real estate. It was created, like you said, for Harvard Business. You can use yeah. it in, in all of your daily life. Yeah. You really can. It's to try to have meaningful conversations instead of conflict. There's a ton of opportunity to take tough conversations and turn them into something really productive. A hundred percent. One thing that's interesting too, and I didn't even realize I was doing this in relationship to SCARF, but the other thing in negotiations I do is, is certainty. I have had so much more success since I started with my counter offers laying out, this is what we feel like is fair. 
This is why we feel like it is fair. If you are willing to do this, we will be happy to make this deal happen and go together. And if you are not willing to do this, we are going to move on. And the success rate since painting the picture of very clearly, we want to buy your house. If we cannot reach an agreement, this negotiation is over, has has really changed the success rate, which is nice because we didn't get to do that in multiple offer days. No, when, no, but like, what we were doing, but when we were writing offers and multiple yeah. offers, we were trying to write an offer that created certainty. A hundred percent. And certainty yeah. wasn't just unconditional. It's you had to prove yes. that you could follow through with your unconditional offer. Yeah. Just because all five were unconditional, a good, yeah. a smart listing agent knows how to look at them and know that some of them. Not all unconditional <laughs> offers are created equal. <laughs> just because yeah. you told me it's unconditional doesn't mean yeah. I, can, I believe that you'll follow through. And our responsibility was to give some, uh, some evidence to that. Yeah. And you're doing the same thing now. Sellers yeah. in a tough market want certainty to know, okay, if I accept your offer, Jeff, I'm taking away opportunity from other offers right. and I'm taking a crummy price in my opinion. Yeah. So if I do this, I'd like to feel that I'm going to hit reach the end of the path, which mm-hmm. is a, a firm deal, not you walking away. Yeah. Through. With it, certainty, you, in my mind, in a negotiation, you have to paint the positive outcome and the negative outcome. Like if we do this, this is the good result. This is the bad result, but there's certainty on both of them, right? Like it will happen this way or it will happen yeah. that way. I really like to ride the positivity train. So I, I like to give them a lot of certainty about how we will give them what they want. I like a three to one positive to negative <laughs> ratio. Just a little bit of negative just, to give like, hey, we're not just playing a game here. Yeah, and, I, and, I'm, like, and I'm not trying to be yeah. difficult, but I'm, I'm yeah. making it clear to you. So you yes. have autonomy. Yes. You have a choice to make. Yeah. We'll, we can take it down this path and we'll follow through. But if we can't reach this agreement, this is our commitment where we are moving on, mm-hmm. we have other things to do, right? Um, but that is a huge part of my negotiation right now. It's a huge part of working with sellers. And everybody is that certainty, right? Yeah. Because of the, because of all of the unpredictability of the marketplace. What one thing um, that I've kind of been applying the scarf model to is talking to sellers about giving them as much certainty as possible in an uncertain world. Like I've been really talking about sales ratios with my with my sellers recently of look in your price band statistically there are 15 homes for sale and based on last month we're going to get 2 to 3 of them to sell right so we don't know which ones are going to sell but look at them are you one of the top 3 because if you're not you're just helping those 2 to 3 like there's not unlimited buyers right now mhm and you've got to stand out in your in your pack. And one one way you can get a little bit of certainty is is looking at how many are selling each month. Okay, four are going to sell. And you can you can look at like like if there are fifteen homes for sale in a price band, usually there are four that stand out where you're like, okay, well if there are four buyers, it's going to be these ones. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, it's really easy to cross off four first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely not those four. And what I'm hearing, and I don't want listeners thinking to this as, as we represent them, that we're trying to manipulate our clients when we work with them. But a huge part yeah. of our job, our responsibility, is is helping get them to the objective that they want. We're not trying to like, trick them into doing something they don't. But if they tell us that's their objective, we all have our own inside voices, our internal voices yeah. that, that stop us from making progress just based on fear or other things or ego and different stuff. And I really think SCARF helps 
walk us to that point. So when you're giving them certainty, the next thing you are doing is giving them autonomy where it is now their choice. Oh, a hundred percent. I, I look at our job as I, I always tell my clients and I, I a hundred percent believe this. You've hired me to be the expert, but you're the boss, which is total autonomy. Um, absolutely. And we, but we have to be authentic in that. And I, and I believe that both of us are. Oh, well, what I said about like the four homes selling and there are 15 choices. That's real. That, that's not... Yes, that is based like, on fact. They yeah. can look at it. They can look for themselves and yeah. see which are the better four. Yeah. And now you're saying to them, now you have your own choice to make here. Here yeah. are some options about tactics yeah. we can use to make you stand out to be one of those four. Like I, I look at it as our job right now, um, both for sellers and buyers, but definitely in a changing market for sellers a big part of our job is helping educate our sellers on what's going on so that they have the correct information to make a informed decision. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I really believe scarf scarf helps us walk through that in a really respectful and productive way for our clients. That's why it's such a huge part of my business. Totally. I I don't want it to come across as one of these, uh, you know, some other sales tactics, right? Is the, uh, what's that sneaky language they use? Oh, NLP. NLP. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, right. like if I use the right words, it's going to kind of it, – it, it actually – so for those who don't know, uh, NLP, I believe, stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. And this is sales tactics for people that – there are certain hot-button words that kind of get you fired up. And, I mean, who knows if this is true or not? I find that, like all of this stuff kind of disgusting. But there, there are salespeople out there who have been trained to know that if I say these words, it's going to fire you up and kind of move you in the direction that I want. And a lot of that probably scarf would apply to too, right? Like I'm Agreed. hitting you yep. in, making you afraid of this or making you, but it's sort of that using your powers for evil <laughs> <laughs> version. Well, the, and, and if I wanted to, I could probably use scarf to get what I want Yeah, from the client versus what they want. For sure. Got to use our powers for good. Well, and, and it's such a short-sighted business model too. Like I know that you guys get a lot of repeat and referral business. And anybody who's out there, like, first of all, you shouldn't take advantage of your clients because that makes you a scumbag. But on top of that, it's bad business. Like, it's so short-sighted because one client who raves about you, like, I had a client one year send me five uh, referrals. Like, Yeah. yeah, from, like, because they're just a person who likes to talk about it and they felt like I did a great job for them, so they talked me up. If I sit there and I'm not looking out for her best interests... Yeah, I make one quick, easy sale maybe, but I lose out on five in yeah. one year. Like, this yeah. isn't hard math. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, but I think really we're, we're hearing what our clients want and we're, yes. and we're using this to help get them there. I get in my own way when sure. I try to buy right? I yeah. need help with this stuff. I get stressed out and I can't, I can't kind of see through this sort of this phase and this fog. Totally. Phase. Yeah. Haze and fog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and I, it's, it's helpful to have somebody guide you through it. It is psychology and, and having a, a psychological guideline to help. This is a really tough decisions when we're doing real estate. Oh yeah. Right? It's a stakes. tough situation. Um, but our listeners can use this in all of their day-to-day situations, right? When things aren't just going right. You, see, you know, somebody seems to be really responding to you in a really harsh negative way we use that with other agents when they're just not yeah being responsive rach um gets really upset with me 
when she'll be like, is this, like, when I'm talking to her sometimes, she's like, are, is this scarf? Are you, are you doing that Keith stuff? <laughs> Scarfing me again. Yeah. <laughs> you start to see through it. Let, I, let's talk about, we haven't talked much about relatedness. Okay. How does that apply? Uh, it never crosses my mind. Okay. It is not like, I will always throw out status, certainty, and autonomy when I'm talking about things that I've done and I felt like it was really effective. I've never said relatedness. I also think relatedness is a crummy word linguistically. It's it's a terrible word. This is clearly just, um, like, what is related? Relatedness is empathy, right? Yeah. Like, the, it's essentially... The, the, the mark I have, the note I have in this article here that, that summarized, it says, how safe we feel with others. Okay. Which is an interesting hmm. twist on it. Yeah trust it's it's almost like trust yeah but you can't call it um sketch yeah totally <laughs> that that's funny the way i've always thought about it and maybe i'm doing it wrong is that i just need to not forget to be putting myself in the other person's shoes during the process like and th- th- this i think speaks to this is for their best interests this isn't mm-hmm. for like really thinking about okay well why are they coming at it from this perspective that they're coming at it from and and how do I make sure that they know that like we said nobody's trying to have one over on you this is how do I make sure I guess you know that I'm in your corner which I guess is trust so maybe that is (laughs) I think that's probably even what Dr. David Rock had in mind yeah as a the, the best term for it right but I mean scarf is pretty close like scarf's a good word to remember yeah it's tight but yeah, you, you had to give up something there. <laughs> yeah, scaffed. <laughs> scaffed. <laughs> Wasn't gonna work. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's why we tend to gloss. I tend to gloss over it pretty quick. Sure. You know, it's, it's that's probably the most integral part of our business. Everything. Well, and starts. With I mean, trust. I've seen you deal with your clients, and I've seen Jared deal with your clients, um, <laughs> and I think you guys just very naturally are very much thinking about where they're coming from and. Yeah, like you guys definitely empathize with who you're dealing with and, and are thinking about their best interests. Like, yeah, probably just you don't think about it because you don't need to think about it. That's just your natural it's, it's, state it's of the root. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, last one uh, being fairness, which you've, we've talked, we talked about a lot, that a lot in, as far as when you're negotiating. Yeah. But the same thing goes because I, I feel like I use scarf more with my clients. Yeah. Then with negotiating, I suppose I use it in negotiating, but that's just sort of always been a, a businessy thing. Like how do I negotiate? You know, what a listener doesn't realize is you don't have to use scarf just in business when you're dealing with somebody like externally. Yeah. You want to use scarf inside of your business world, inside of everything in your life. If you're having a conflict with the person down the hall from you and you're on the same level on the corporate ladder, you know, you, you can use this to create much stronger relationships more productive, right? This is really about like the inner child fairness, right? Like my kids scream this every day. Like that's not fair. <laughs> and I feel like we're always even as adults screaming that's not fair. We just say it in our heads as we get older. Yeah, like, every everybody wants a fair shake. And if yeah. we're using the analogy of the office and everybody's on the same level of the corporate ladder, you do want to feel like you're getting your fair shake compared to all of your peers who sit at a similar level. Yeah. And as soon as it starts to look out of line and it's not fair as an as an as an employee, you tend to shut down and your production goes down. 
Sure. And as a manager, you have to look at that and acknowledge it and go, oh, maybe I've lost one of my most productive employees here right. because they're not seeing it's a fair work environment. Yeah. How can I bring this back? Yes, you can create more fairness, but I, I almost feel like you don't have to create fairness if you start with mm-hmm. status, showing respect, giving them certainty. Yeah, it's all interwoven, right? Yeah, but I feel like once you've done the first three, you, you're delivering fairness. Yeah. But, but the only way you can deliver certainty is by understanding what would be fair to them. Mm-hmm. No one's getting certainty if what you're offering them for certain is what they don't want. Which you have to actually then relate to them to figure out because, you know, the do unto others as you would have done unto you is actually not like, like better than that is do unto others as they would have done unto themselves, (laughs) right? Like, yeah. So if you're the manager in this work environment and you want to sort of build up this employee who seems to have fallen behind sort of their usual standard, you can't just walk in and be like, I'll give you certainty that I will give you a bonus. Right. right? What if a bonus isn't what they want? Yeah. It's it's not going to work. Right. You've got to find out, you've got to relate to them and find out what would be a fair outcome to them. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not looking for a bonus. Maybe what they actually want is an extra two weeks vacation. It's interesting, too, because I think we have a tendency as human beings to think that everybody sees the world the way we see the world, which is such a trap, right? Like, you and I can experience the exact same thing and have totally interpreted it massively differently. Completely. I always think the first thing that comes to mind is the... Or You want to finish your thought? I've got mine, but finish your thought. No, go for it. Okay. I don't don't want to cut you off. No. Okay. Is motivation, right? Yeah. We talked about that in our after the show credits when you're talking about uh, like toilet training. Right. right? Okay. You've got to yeah. find everybody's motivation. Sure. You can't yeah. give them certainty if you can't offer them what they want. Yeah. So you got to know what they want. Right. And I always uh, laugh at this and Keith, if you're listening, you do great work, but you didn't quite understand Eldon Whalen. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it was the analogy of, and cause it's, it's the find your motivation. He never cracked Eldon. Like no. Eldon, um, who's also been on the show. We did an episode, he moved up North and we did a small, small town, town real estate, estate episode. Yeah. But yeah, Eldon looks at the world, um, maybe a little differently than works within Keith's frame of reference. Like you, you'd watch every meeting where he was like <laughs> trying to get in Eldon's head and it just never, Never clicked, for sure. Yeah, so if you can't yeah. find that internal motivation, yeah. you can't go through scarf. Right. Right? Yeah. And it was always so funny to be like, okay, I strapped a bomb to your chest. Yeah. You know, now you've only got 30 minutes to solve this problem. And he's like, yeah. eh. <laughs> yeah. I haven't quite hit my hot button here, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, or what was the other one? It was How like, are you going to feed your kids, Eldon? Yeah. Which probably, I think, worked for 90% of the people, Keith, uses that analogy, right? Like, get in your why, and your your kids need to be your why, and what what's at stake is your kids. And I mean, Elton loves his, his daughter. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I know that, but for whatever reason, that specific framing of how to it, get inside. It was, it was too abstract, right? It, was, it wasn't tangible, and he just wasn't willing to play along. Right. Right? Like, what if I told you, Elton, that, like, tomorrow I'm coming to your house and I'm taking your kids away, and the yeah. only way to prevent that is to do this. Right. You know, he's like, that's not happening, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just never clicked. <laughs> I'm not playing along. Yeah. Not your monkey. <laughs> so you've got to find that person's motivation. So they feel they're getting a fair shake. Well, that brings us into kind of something interesting about scarf too. 
we've been really talking about how you apply scarf to other people. I find it's, and this is getting maybe a little mushy, I find scarf is actually a really interesting tool for looking inward. Big time. Like a lot of the times when I'm really resistant to something or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be, I'll kind of run down the scarf list and be like, why am I, I'm going to try not to swear, but why, why am I not motivated or why am I not doing? And a lot of times I'll hit one and I'm like, oh yeah, I feel no autonomy with this task or this isn't fair or, you know, like deal's gone bad. I didn't deserve that. That wasn't fair. And I'm stuck on that instead of working on what I should be working. Like whenever I get stuck on stuff, usually it's one of these things. I, I agree. And I find a way that like for me, I can, I can often create a situation where I feel there's some certainty and autonomy to where I'm going. Yes. I, I can, I can always create autonomy for myself. Yeah. Certainty. I can create options and feel like I have some choice. The one that will get me the most, and this is for a lot of people is status. Yeah. And that will get me fired up and yeah. lose lose focus. <laughs> Do you remember, and I think you will, there was a realtor whose name I will not use who uh, called me out during a negotiation and was like, how long you been in the business? Oh, that's the, that's the big red button. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, for those who don't know, um, if you ever want to like get a younger realtor and the average age of a realtor is like 55. So, so that's a Remax realtor. The average age of a Remax realtor is yeah. 55. Correct. Um, but if you ever want to get a realtor like scarfed, yeah. um, <laughs> ask them how long they've been in the business. Cause it's a total status move. Like yeah. it, and it get it happens a lot, but for well, anybody who's been doing it for more than 21 years. Yeah. But what people don't realize a lot of these older realtors started much later and Every realtor gets a V number, and you can your V number is chronological. So when this happened, Matt very kindly was like, you know, I think that guy's new who <laughs> said that. And we looked him up, his V number, and sure enough, like he couldn't have been in the business more than three years. I'm getting fired up just talking about this now. Like, like, like yes. I can't believe that guy. Status gets me. He statused you hard. He statused me. All day long. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was the one that got me early in my career. You know, when you're a little yeah. less confident, people want to hit you with this. Totally. Well, I was confident, but I that was the thing that bothered me the most because I was like, I'm good at this. Yeah. Don't hold my years of experience sure. as a measuring stick. Well, and the reverse happens. Like there's, um, I always think of our friend Patrick and he got uh, a guy who was like, how long you been doing this? And he'd been doing it for a while at that point. And then he got... Um, you know, on the next deal, why don't you try doing it like this? And went through a bunch of like advice from this older realtor to him and Patrick's getting status <laughs> massively. And then that same week he's buying groceries and the realtor giving him advice is bagging groceries. Oh my gosh. In the grocery store That's as crazy. his second, like Age is not necessarily an indicator of success. Age is not <laughs> what well, age is not an indication of success or the number of years you've been in the business. Yeah. And the number of years you've been in the business is also not an indication of success. This is true. There are 14,000 realtors and 2,000 sales. <laughs> this one. <laughs> a lot of them have been not selling homes for a very long time. Yeah, I, like... I, there's, there's probably nothing that gets me more than I've been doing this for 25 years. And I was like, whew, I've been doing it wrong for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, oh, let me tell you how to do this. Well, you're doing it the way that it worked f- 10 years ago. Totally. And by the way, I was also a realtor then, and it worked this way 10 years ago. That doesn't work now. Yeah. Evolve. <laughs> you can tell status gets me upset. <laughs> but what I try to do is be respectful yes. and spin it and say, okay, yeah, they're hitting me with status. How can I solve this? Yeah. Well, I can solve it by creating something that gives me more certainty and autonomy in this situation. And yeah. the way I can do that is I can manipulate this jerk by <laughs> feeding their status, steering this where my client wants it to go, and we're going to get what we want. And at the end of the day, I want what my client wants. Yeah. That makes me feel the best. I can get over this guy making me upset if I can make my client feel fantastic. Yeah, for sure. So um, I, I really enjoyed bringing this up today because... Like I said at the beginning, it's such a huge part of our business. It's such a huge part of my daily life. Yeah. Just, I enjoy more of everything I do in life pretty much because of Scarf. Yeah, this is a massive tool. And I think something probably people might not have been expecting to hear about on their real estate <laughs> podcast this morning. I, ho- I hope the listeners have found this as interesting as we do. And if you're a little skeptical, I would suggest even just trying messing around with thinking about this and seeing if it changes how you look at stuff. Because for me, it has massively. Absolutely. And I think as, as you just said that, how can they do that and mess around is you have to give these things to the other person. Yes. So the first biggest mental roadblock is if you're, if you're mad, if somebody's created a problem with you is you have to now give to them. Right. That's a tough hurdle to get over first. Yeah. And maybe a tip that isn't covered in there is, um, like a lot, I can't do it when I'm mentally hijacked. I can't override. Like what I need to do is excuse myself for a bit and calm down, which in business is easy. <laughs> At home with kids and family and stuff, maybe a little harder. But it, but in business, usually you can get the time of yeah. You know what? I got. I'm walking into a meeting. Let me call you back in an hour. And then sit down and just kind of cool off. <laughs> yeah, before. absolutely. But but try it. Try it. Just just give something up to the other person. Don't give them everything. Yeah. But give them some certainty. Give them autonomy. Something to turn the tide. It, it's interesting too how everything in life feels like kind of a little interconnected. When I used to do improv, the number one thing there's this great book called Impro, which is all about how to do great improv. But a big chunk of that book is if a scene is not working, flip the status. <laughs> like immediately things become interesting if you find a way to change. Like if we're in a scene. Oh, and, and I'm the king. And you're the king and I'm the servant. If it's not working, just swap it. Find a reason <laughs> for the servant to all of a sudden be the boss. And your, your scene just instantly becomes interesting. <laughs> like, that makes a ton of sense. Oh, it, yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, and when I, when I used to coach improv, we'd run drills of flip the status, flip the status. And this happens in negotiations. A lot of times when a negotiation gets stuck, if you can flip the status, and usually it's giving the other person status, not, not yeah. making them feel small. <laughs> like, yeah, so... That is awesome. That's really good. And what I'm what I'm really hearing about this, why I want people to to share in the the scarf model is it's done a lot of positive things for me. Yeah, it really has helped. So so hear it. Find out that you do have to make concessions. Though you can't just walk around in your anger and carry it. It's not going to help. You do have to be somewhat of the the bigger mind. Find something to give. Right. Flip the status. Do something. Give some certainty. Give some autonomy. Find a way to make it seem fair. And 
you you will have a more enjoyable experience. You don't have to be angry. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be combative. I certainly was a more combative, more combative person earlier in my life. And I'm, man, I wake up every day just loving everything I do now. And I just, I, part of it is because of the control I feel I have. Yeah. Certainty and autonomy. And I'll keep saying them. <laughs> it works on yourself too. <laughs> it does. I love it. <laughs> I think that was probably very repetitive, but I've made it clear. I'm a big fan of the scarf model. We've played that to death. So Jeff has got a question of the week for us. Check out the big brain on Brad. How's it working out for you? What? Being clever. Who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show. This came up at an inspection yesterday. Newer construction, just a few years old. Okay. They had a deficiency report done. And you mean like when they moved in or when they listed? The building had a deficiency report done on uh, exterior. Oh, the exterior. Okay. Coming up on like the five-year warranty maybe? Correct. Okay. So Alistair asked during the inspection, there was a lot of stuff found in, the, in, in this deficiency report. How do I know if this is just regular stuff or how do I know if oh, this was a fly-by-night operate. Like, at what point do I start questioning the quality of the construction? Yeah. Are you? I have to answer this question? <laughs> <laughs> that is really hard to generalize. It's a good question. That's tough to, that is tough to generalize. I mean, yeah. a, a five-year review, frankly, I would like to see virtually nothing other than a few, um, you know, cracks. Yep. Cracks in general, if it's, you know, wood frame or concrete, you're going to have cracks, thick water coming into the parking garage. You've got, you know, a little bit, you got to seal some stuff, you know, caulking and that kind of stuff around windows. Beyond that, anything beyond that, I would, I would be concerned that there is a potential for a systemic flaw in the building. I would. You know, it would just because anything beyond normal, like just cracks and stuff is, is beyond wear and tear if we're talking about the exterior. Yeah, so... I'll bring up a few of the things that were, were in here. Um, there was missing caulking, like areas that they just didn't hit originally. Like it, uh, and the one thing the inspector had to say was he was like, okay, well, a lot of times what happens on these jobs is there's something that gets missed at the end of the day, like it's closing time, and then the guy comes back the next day and he gets put on another thing because there's a lot of a lot of emergencies. Right. And he's like, it sucks that this stuff happens. But he sees it a lot. Like it, it's not unusual to have, oh, they didn't caulk this whole little section. Yeah, this the, this wall was my job today. I'm caulking it. I got ninety percent of the way done. The day ends. Yeah. I come in tomorrow. What I'd like to do is start by finishing that ten percent. Yeah. But someone's like, Steve, I need you over on yeah. you know. Yeah, and, and we're probably not qualified to really go deep on this question, but I thought it was something good for the listeners to listen to. And also something, if you're if you're buying a new construction home, it's really worth still having a home inspector in and and getting a lot of their thoughts on, on stuff. Um, I had a half duplex earlier this year that when they ran the infrared camera, and these are the first people ever living in there, um, there were whole sections of the radiant heat that weren't working. Right. And you catch that before you move in and the builder's got to do something about it. Yeah. 
afterwards it gets a lot more difficult. It's a lot harder. You've already given them your money. Yeah, yeah, 100%. (laughs) And then the other thing, too, that a seasoned inspector can give you is a bit of perspective. Like one thing that I thought went really well is um, the inspector was talking to Alistair a lot about, okay, well, I've inspected a ton of these homes that were all built in the last five years in this like three or four block radius. And what I can tell you is that while this stuff is missing, and it shouldn't be, and I'm not going to say that's great work, this is at the same level or better than everything else that was built on (laughs) this block all by different developers. So these are not unusual problems. This isn't necessarily an indicator of this is worse than normal. This is normal even if... We don't like normal. Even if we don't like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we get a lot of that in inspections. So there was nothing else in this report that you might say was sort of a, that got highlighted? The, the, the one thing that was um, really, the one thing that stood out to me was, and it, it's been fixed because they caught it while it was all still under review. And, and this is another thing that's important. If you already own in a building that's less than five years old, have this stuff looked at before your warranty runs out because the, the developer's on the hook for it. Um, but they, the balconies were really strangely secured, not on all of them, just a few where they're the railings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like just a really strange choice that the report recommended going back and changing it. And, and the developer was like, yeah, okay, you're right. I'm going to, I'm going to do it a different way. Okay. Well, there you go. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the stuff that I, the, the, the one thing that I could generalize, you could look for in a lot of buildings when you see a five-year report is something systemic about windows. Yeah. Because buildings now built in the last five years, like the exterior shell is going to be pretty well built. Right. We've over-engineered the idea behind rain screen technology. Yeah. So it's hard to screw that up. Mm -hmm. You've got like a bunch of different exterior walls protecting your house. (laughs) Yeah. There's a few false fail safes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then if it's solid concrete, like that's going good. So your, your risky points are points of entry. Totally. Generally windows. Yeah. So that's where you want to see are the, are the sills sloping away from the building? So water sheets away, not in. Yeah. That, those are systemic flaws that would preferably be caught before the five-year, but the five-year review is your chance to really catch this stuff. Mm-hmm. If the slope was going the wrong way and creating a moisture problem, now you're going to start to see some rot or other things that would be warning signs. Yeah. Or the, the big one, and this is so old now, but it was in Victoria Hill, the first two towers, mm-hmm. they had all of their windows were problematic. Yeah. yeah. And that got resolved. Yeah. Right. So anybody buying in there today doesn't have to worry. Yeah. I've got no issue with those two towers, but there were, you're right. And there was a two year window in there where it wasn't a slam dunk that all you were going to pay for it. Window. Window. (laughs) (laughs) But there wasn't, just because it was under warranty, wasn't a sure thing on he was going to just step up and cover the cost to remedy the the problem. Well, and you really have to be on it because uh, there's another building in the Brentwood area, also done by Ani, where the windows are cracking and it's only, well, they started cracking at year seven and they brought an engineer in and the windows are slightly too large for the frames. So there's too much pressure. Yeah. They don't have room to flex. Like when the building flexes, there's no room to play. And the building's going to have to replace all of their windows, but they didn't catch it till year seven. So Ani said, not our problem. True facts of truth. Which sucks, but is legally the act actually correct. Well, okay, legally the warranty provider doesn't have to fall through. It doesn't yeah. mean you can't sue them for screwing up. Yep. You could sue them 30 years later. Yeah. But your yeah, success but it's, rate. It's not a slam dunk <laughs> warranty claim. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. well, warranty is not the builder. 
Yeah. There's, a, there's, there's an insurance, essentially, underwriter that covers the warranty, so it's a totally different game. Yeah. But the builder can't hide from it if you can prove it. Yeah. Good question. Tough one to answer. Generalizations. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I am surprised how much time we put into Scarf, but I think it's super worthwhile. I hope the listeners liked it. If you like that kind of stuff, I'd love to hear feedback from listeners. If you want to hear more of the the tactics of the business versus... Yeah, like, totally. Like, like if, we talk about specific tactics around how to buy, how to sell, how to inspect. But if you just want to hear communication tactics or business tactics, well, hey, we'll, we'll tell you what we know. We talk about this stuff a lot. Yeah. Personally. We, so we, we're happy to... And maybe our opinions are, are wrong anyway, and we're not the experts. But if you liked this episode, uh, give us some feedback to let us know. Um, maybe try a little more in the Instagram uh, profile so Jeff will post more. <laughs> <laughs> At... Is it MO Real Estate Show? Yeah, I think we're at, at MO Real Estate Show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you want to email us, that's feedback at morealestateshow.com. If you want to find uh, Matt or our absent host, Jer, <laughs> uh, they are at thenewwestguys.com. And if you want to find me, uh, Jeff, I am at realestatenewwest.com. Thanks, guys. So, Matt, you brought up that I'm toilet training, and this is not a toilet training story. You brought it up two episodes ago. I did, but today, (laughs) on this episode, you brought it up. So, uh, Rach was not happy with me, because she tried to start toilet training again today, but I ate all the chocolate rewards. (laughs) (laughs) But we decided that wasn't valuable currency anyway. Which gave me free reign to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Rach opens the closet today, because... Uh, lo and behold, this morning, Arya jumped on the toilet and just on her own. And Rachel's like, I'm going to reward her. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> she opens up our pantry. She's like, where are the M&Ms? I'm like, in my tummy. <laughs> Dad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is a really important question now for your your parenting of your child. What did she expect as reward when Arya got the job done? What did Arya expect? Yeah. Like, did she finish and she's like, where's my M&M? Or did she ask for something else? Did she want a high five? Did she want acknowledgement? Did she want... Um, What'd she want? She likes getting a chocolate, but she wasn't... What did she ask for? She she didn't ask for anything oh. when she got off. But um, Rachel, I feel like bribery might be our number one technique. Uh, Arya's been going through a I want to sleep in your bed in the middle of the night phase. And so... Rachel's exhausted uh, because I sleep through. Like, unless she wakes me up for help, it doesn't. I'm a deep sleeper. So I didn't know, but I got up two days ago, and Arya's like, I want a popsicle. And I'm like, you can't have a popsicle. It's first thing in the morning. And she's like, get mummy. And I'm like, mummy's asleep. Too bad. No popsicle. And she's like so mad at me and the whole day. And then Rachel gets up a little while later. And she's like, oh, you slept through the night. Here's a popsicle. And I'm like, what? What is happening? And she's like, oh, I told her if, if she sleeps through the night. So she's like trying to communicate to me like, no, dad, like mom said this. was, yeah. And I'm like, no, it's morning. Like popsicles Get are an afternoon thing. Like not a chance. You want a popsicle. Well, show me your contract and then I can execute it. But she really wanted it. So maybe that's what she wants. She wants a popsicle. All right. I think is the, that seems to be the, the money. I, I've been using books for 
rewards for Asher. He's doing like reading levels at school. Yep. And it's funny. He doesn't want to read his homework books. That's normal. But, but if I say, if you go up a level, I'll buy you a book and you can pick it. He then, like, he wants a book. Doesn't want to learn how to read, but he does want a book, which is interesting. And maybe there's some autonomy there. You can pick it. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Nice move. 